On the show today, FBI statistics show that those over 60 lost over $1 billion last year to scams. The Texas Supreme Court sides with three sex trafficking victims in their lawsuit against Facebook. A new form of attack goes after your printer settings. Our scam of the day covers social media impersonation attacks. And today's tip teaches you how to prepare for a time when the power goes out. All of that and more is coming up on the July 5th, 2021 edition of Cybersecurity Made Personal. Helping you stay safe in a connected world. This is Cybersecurity Made Personal. Hello and welcome to the Cybersecurity Made Personal Podcast, the safest podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Jim Herman. I have five stories on the news beat for you today. We begin with a report from the FBI, where America's top law enforcement agency recently stated that those 60 and over lost over $1 billion to fraud last year. That number was a worrying figure, since it represented more than triple the amount lost by the same age group in 2019. Almost 50% of the money lost was lost to three types of scams. Topping the list was confidence fraud, where the person takes time to get to know the victim and earn their trust. This would include romance scams. Second was email account compromise, where the scammer accesses the email account of a trusted individual. And third was tech support scams. While it's certainly possible that a person of any age could fall for these scams, there are some hypotheses as to why our older generation seems to be more vulnerable. For example, a widow or widower may be more likely to fall victim to a romance scam, and a person who hasn't grown up around technology is much more likely to be confused and fall victim to a tech support scam. It's also plausible that the sharp increase in victims last year could be due to seniors doing more activities online for the first time. So if you have a parent, grandparent, or other loved one who's over 60, make sure to talk to them about internet scams. And as we go from law enforcement to the courthouse, the Texas Supreme Court ruled on Friday that a lawsuit against Facebook from three victims of human trafficking could move forward. The three girls were recruited by their abusive traffickers through Facebook messaging, and they claimed that Facebook was negligent in warning users about trafficking and in preventing it from happening. They also claimed that Facebook directly benefited from the exploitation that occurred. Facebook defended itself by pointing to Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which shields online publishers from liability for what its users say and do on the site. However, the Texas Supreme Court ruled 
that Section 230 was never intended to create a lawless zone on the Internet. The decision concluded that there was a difference between holding a site accountable for the actions of its users and holding a site accountable for its own actions, which is the contentions of the plaintiffs in this case. Meanwhile, a different California tech company has released an updated list of devices to keep away from medical implants. Apple's MagSafe charger magnets have been found to interfere with implanted devices in some cases. While Apple had already released a warning about a few of the devices, its updated list contains additional devices of concern. The updated list includes the iPhone 12, multiple iPad versions, and the Apple Watch. Apple recommends keeping these devices at least 6 inches away from any implants and to keep them 12 inches away if they are charging wirelessly. And finally, a new proof-of-concept exploit has been developed for a bug that Microsoft patched earlier this month. The attack, which has been nicknamed Print Nightmare, impacts the Windows Print Spooler, a Windows service that allows apps to easily send documents to printers. The bug was initially classified as low priority, but it was upgraded after the release of this attack, which allows a person to take full control of an unpatched system remotely. Specific details have not been released yet, but they are being shared around the security community, which means that someone will likely come across it and reveal the exact workings soon. That means you should make sure you've updated any Windows devices you may own as soon as you can. And now we move on to the scam of the day. Today's scam is the social media impersonation scam. Social media makes it easy for anyone to sign up for an account. However, that ease of access also makes it easy for people to set up fake accounts. Fake accounts can then be used to conduct scams. You might have received a Facebook message or a Twitter DM supposedly from a friend claiming they were in trouble and needed you to send them money. However, if you actually go to the account of the sender, you'll find it's not the same account. The scammer just took the profile picture and a few other public details from the person's account and then created a new account. However, scam accounts are not just limited to individuals. I've seen many Facebook pages of people that I follow say that fake pages have been set up in their names and are messaging members saying they've won a prize, but just need to pay for shipping. So be careful on social media. If you have any reason at all to believe a message might not be legitimate, always go back to the profile of the individual, page, or company that is contacting you. From there, select the option to send the person a direct message. If the messages you just supposedly received from that person don't appear in the list, then you've been contacted by a fake account. If you find a scam you think we'd like to talk about on the show, you can send it to us at scam at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com. 
And now it's time for the Cybersecurity Pop Quiz. Each week, we ask you a question in the field of online security or privacy, and it's your job to figure out the right answer. Today's question is a true or false question. The question is, it is safe to use any public Wi-Fi network to access the internet. True or false? The answer will be revealed in next week's episode. But if you want to know it right away, you can go to cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash popquiz to submit your guess and find out if you're right. Plus, if you submit your guess on the website, regardless of whether you're right or wrong, you'll be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card when we conclude Season 3 in August. But your guess must be submitted before the next episode airs, next Monday, July 12th. For official rules, visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash quiz rules. Last week's question was, which of these is the most likely threat that you will face online? A. A person hacking onto your computer. B. A person steals your data from a website you gave it to. C. A person perpetrates a ruse to get you to provide your credit card number. Or D. A person finds your lost laptop. The correct answer is C. While stealing data from you, hacking data from another company, or recovering information off a stolen laptop are all common attacks, convincing people to give up their data is a much more profitable method of attack. Computers will always do what they are told to do. Even things like artificial intelligence learn in the manner that it was programmed to learn. In order to do what we typically call hacking, you have to find a bad instruction in the system that can be exploited. But unlike computers, people do make mistakes. You can be convinced to believe something that isn't true. That makes it easier for someone to get your data that way. There is some story out there that will be good enough to trick anyone if told at the right time. I have fallen victim to these scams a couple times, and I also know of one cybersecurity executive who fell for a phishing test because it supposedly came from his company's HR benefits provider saying his vacation request had been denied. Since he had just submitted a request for vacation a few days earlier, he clicked the link and tried to sign into his account, only to be met with a page telling him that he could have been phished had that not been a test. So be careful when you're online. Treat everything with an element of skepticism. That might just be what protects you and your data. A power outage. With our lives so dependent on technology, they're often annoying inconveniences. But if you're not prepared, an extended outage could turn into something much worse. Plus, if you have medical equipment that relies on power, any power outage has the potential to turn life-threatening quickly. We'll discuss some steps you can take to keep your devices running when the power goes out 
when we come back from this short break. Hi, it's Jim. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love it if you could follow us in your favorite podcast player. That will ensure you never miss an episode. And while you're there, we'd also appreciate it if you could rate the show and give us a review. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are. And finally, the best review that someone can give us is to tell their friends about the show. Invite them to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or send them to our website, cybersecuritymadepersonal.com, where they can find links to the show in all the major podcast players. Thanks for your support, and now back to the show. This past February, the state of Texas faced a critical emergency. Two winter storms hit the state within a week, causing increased power usage. The demand for electricity hit a record high, and the state was forced to institute rolling blackouts in order to prevent equipment from catching fire. At the peak of the electric crisis, over 5 million people were without power at one time. By the time full power was restored, at least 151 people had lost their lives due to the cold. Like any significant event, there were almost certainly multiple causes and unraveling everything that went down to get to the root causes of the blackouts is well beyond the scope of this podcast. However, the blackouts that happened in Texas are a sobering reminder of just how much we depend on electricity nowadays. There are many reasons why you might lose power. A fire could happen at a nearby station. A car could crash into a utility pole. A disaster could strike your area. Or weather could force extremely high demand. But the truth is that every one of us has lived through multiple power outages. While those outages are often inconvenient, they're not usually life-threatening. However, in extreme cases, such as the Texas blackout, a power outage can leave you threatened by extreme cold or heat. But even though most power outages aren't life-threatening, they can still be very inconvenient. For example, if an extended outage leaves you unable to charge your phone, you could lose the ability to communicate in an emergency situation. And a power outage could present a challenge to the increasing number of smart devices in homes. Without power, your smart devices won't be so smart after all, and that could present a problem to you. So here are some steps that you can take to prepare for a power outage. First, think about what devices you have and how critical it is that they have power. Probably the most critical devices to keep powered would be medical equipment. Obviously, not every home has medical equipment, but for those that do, keeping these devices powered could mean the difference between life and death in any power outage. After that, I would consider your basic security and communications needs the most critical. 
You probably won't care if every security camera around your home is operational, but you will want to have some security available. For example, if you have smart locks, make sure that you have extra batteries on hand to keep them running. If your smart locks don't have a keyhole, make sure that you have a way to lock or unlock them that doesn't require an internet connection. Being able to communicate with others is also important. You'll want to receive updates on the situation from the power company, and you'll probably also want to call others to let them know that you're okay. And you always want to have a way to call for emergency services if they're needed. And finally, you'll also need to consider your other devices too. These will fall in the nice-to-have category, but they could have some negative repercussions during a power outage. For example, if you work from home, you may need to find a way to keep your work devices powered during the workday. You may also want to have a short-term backup plan to keep your desktop computer powered in the event of an outage. That way, you'll make sure you have a little time to finish what you're doing and save your work. And once you've done that, now it's time to make a plan for how you'll keep these devices charged. For any critical medical equipment, speak to your healthcare provider about a plan to keep the equipment running. Your provider should be able to help you identify what options are the best for your specific case. For your important security devices, make sure that you have a way to keep them powered. Earlier, I mentioned smart locks as one important security option. Some smart locks come with a key that can be used to unlock the door in the event of an outage. If you have a key, make sure you know where that key is or who has it. Also, make sure the only copy of the key isn't hanging inside your home. You don't want to get home, discover the power is out, and not be able to get to the key because it's inside, locked up. If your smart lock doesn't have a key, make sure you have batteries to keep it running. Most smart locks can connect to your phone through Bluetooth if the device is already set up. But you can't connect to the lock if you don't have batteries available to keep the lock powered. For communication, I recommend making sure that your phone always has a decent charge. Don't be the type of person that regularly lets your phone run down to zero. You don't want to lose power and then be out of power on your phone as well. Also, pay attention to the health of your battery. If your battery loses charge quickly, it won't take long before your phone is dead when the power goes out. A dead phone will do you no good in the event of an emergency. For emergency communication, I highly recommend going low-tech with an old-school landline telephone. Make sure you have one that doesn't have to be plugged in. Even if you've canceled your landline service, operators must connect calls for emergency services. In the event you have a widespread power outage lasting multiple days, these phones can at least get you help in the case of an emergency. And finally, you may want to invest in backup systems that will help you keep your most important devices charged. For example, you can purchase small power packs 
that can give your phone several charges. Instead of plugging your phone into a wall outlet, you plug your phone into one of these batteries. These can also be useful when you'll be away from home all day and you want to make sure you won't run out of battery. Just make sure you keep the pack decently charged or it will do you no good in the event of a power outage. I also found a portable charger that comes with solar panels so that you can recharge it if it runs out. That could be a very useful option if you live in an area that loses power frequently. If you work from home or you want to make sure that your devices have power long enough for you to save your work, you may want to consider investing in a UPS. No, I'm not referring to the delivery company here. I'm referring to a device known as a universal power supply. These are larger units, sometimes as big as a desktop computer, with a large battery to keep your devices powered. A UPS also has the ability to protect you against power surges. A power surge can damage your equipment, but a UPS can absorb that extra power that comes in, so your equipment receives a steady stream of the appropriate amount of power. And finally, if you want to make sure that everything in your home still keeps its power, you may want to consider getting a generator. Generators can range in size from small portable units that only power what is plugged into them to large units integrated into your home. If you do use a portable diesel generator, make sure that you leave it outside your home and away from doors or windows. Otherwise, you risk carbon monoxide poisoning. So that's all for today. Thanks for listening, and come back again next week, where our tip will discuss some strategies you can use to stop spam. So until next time, stay safe. Thanks again for joining us for the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast. Check out the show notes page linked in the description for links to the articles mentioned, more information about today's tip, and a transcription of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would consider visiting our welcome page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash welcome. There, you can find more information about the show and links to some of our most popular episodes. Cybersecurity Made Personal is provided for educational purposes only. Don't take any action on your computer unless you fully understand what you are doing and the possible consequences. Visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash disclaimer for more information. Cybersecurity Made Personal is a production of Personal Cybersecurity, LLC. I'm Jim Herman. Thanks for listening and stay safe.